look at a number of key issues that we all struggle with from time to time. For instance, next weekend, I'm going to talk about when we worry. I don't know if any of you struggle with that or not, but most people I know uh, really, really struggle with worry in their life at one time or another, and some are ground down by it just about every day. Look at when you are going through seasons of, of loneliness or when you're struggling with bitterness in your life because of something that has happened to you. We're going to take a weekend and talk about what we do when young people, when teenagers and children rebel against the very values that we've tried to instill in them. We're going to talk about what you do when you're persecuted for your values and your beliefs. And those are some of the kinds of topics we're going to deal with. But today, we kick it off by talking about when you are suffering. Now, I just want to make a confession right up front about this particular message. I don't feel extremely qualified to talk about this. Now, I've had my own share of suffering. I, I grew up having to work really hard and not having a lot and knowing, knowing what it felt like to long for something and not really be able to, to get it. And I, I certainly have worked hard going through school to try to raise money and earn money to put myself through, through school. And I've certainly experienced the grief of a loss of the loss of both my mom and my dad and numerous family members. But when I think about what some of you are going through, I don't think there's much I can tell you from my experience about suffering. Some of you are dealing with uh, disabilities in your life. Uh, some of you have had abuse in your background that has just devastated you. And even though you've gotten what help you can, you, it still affects you in a very real way today. Some of you know immense grief. You've lost children. You've had tragedies hit your family. Some of you right now are grappling with a, a terminal disease and all the kinds of struggles that you're going through. When I think about the immensity of some of those that people right now in our congregation are going through, I, I just don't feel qualified at all to speak to this. But here's what I do have. I do have a reservoir of wisdom from God's word that I can draw on. And Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Here's the basic message that I get from the Bible. Suffering is inevitable, but misery is optional. Yes, it's true. Suffering is inevitable. But misery is something that we get a choice in. The popular group, R.E.M., from a few years ago, sang the song. The words said, everyone hurts sometimes. Everyone cries sometimes. So hold on. Good message. But what do you hold on to? When your life is falling apart, when things are going sideways, when you're so disoriented and confused, when you're struggling so much, what, what do you hold on to? Where do you turn? Well, I want us to look today into God's Word. If you have a copy of the Scriptures, I invite you to open them up to Open that Bible up to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to begin this series by just looking at 
some incredible strategies right out of the Bible that can reinforce us and encourage us when we're really, really suffering. And I know that this message is going to be relevant. And I also have been praying that God would use this message today to literally help turn your whole perspective around about that thing that you're struggling with, that, that thing that is causing so much incredible pain in your life, okay? So let's jump in and get started. One of the first things I think that's really important when we're suffering, is we need to try to get a handle on the source of that suffering and understand where it's coming from. What are the root causes of suffering? Now, here's why that, I believe, is really important. You see, some people have a view of God that kind of plagues them when it comes to this. They have a view of God that God is like this sadistic, wicked programmer who has programmed everything in advance down to the nth degree, and I mean everything, to the point where when you fall down a flight of steps, you, you didn't break your neck, you get up and say, well, I'm glad that's over, you know, because that was programmed in, and everything is kind of there in a feudalistic sort of way. Now, if that's a person's belief, then naturally, when you hurt, you're going to fight bitterness. But I've noticed that people who have that belief also tend to give some pretty uh, rather poor counsel to those who are, who are hurting. If someone loses a child, they may look at them and go, well, God just needed a f- another flower in his garden, and he chose the best. Really? Or they'll look at someone who has cancer and they'll say, well, God's just chosen to afflict you with this. He delights in the afflictions of his people. Really? Or somebody will have a a child that's rebelling and, and they'll say, well, you know, you must have done something to bring this on. God's getting you back for sin in your life. What was it that you did that caused this? Really? When you've got a belief like any of those, listen, it's going to cause tremendous confusion, and you're really going to battle with bitterness in your life. Now, we can believe in a sovereign God. I hope you're listening. We can believe in a sovereign God, which is what the Bible teaches. But when a king is sovereign over a country, it doesn't mean that he approves of everything that goes on and certainly doesn't mean that he controls everything that goes on. There are many things that happen in this world that, God, that break God's heart, quite frankly, and that God does not approve of at all. He's not happy with them. So what are some of the sources of our suffering? I hope you'll jot some of these things down. One, some distress does come from God. Make no mistake about that. For instance, God sent 10 miserable plagues to the people of Egypt in order to humble them, in order to try to bring about repentance and a change of heart in them. And God was the source of that. God was sending it. The Bible also teaches that if you're a believer, you're a true follower of Christ, that God loves us so much that When we're out of line with his will, God loves us too much just to leave us alone and let us go. It says in Hebrews that he will discipline us. Look at this scripture. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. All discipline 
for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who've been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So make no mistake, some distress does come from God. But please hear this part. It's always, when God sends discipline like that, it's always remedial in nature. It always is for a redemptive purpose. It's never, listen, never because God just wants to see us squirm. Secondly, when we're talking about the source of suffering, some suffering is simply the result of our own sin. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. And what we need to understand as if we're going to have a balanced biblical theology on this is that there is a law of sowing and reaping at work in this world. And when we sow foolishness, when we make bad decisions, yes, there are times when we see direct suffering because of that. If we overeat, we're going to have some, some physical problems because of that. If we lie, we're going to lose credibility with people and they're not going to trust us. If we steal, we may have to go to jail. If we smoke, you know, two or three packs a day for 40 years and and end up in old age getting lung cancer, we certainly shouldn't shake our fist at God and go, God, why are you doing this to me? Because the warnings are clear. Make no mistake, some of the suffering that you and I go, not all, But some of it is a direct result of some of the choices that we have made. And and it amazes me how confusing that simple point is to some people. We need to understand that although God forgives our sin when we come to him and confess it and ask for his forgiveness, God forgives us, but forgiveness doesn't mean all the consequences are wiped away. Why? Because there is a law of sowing and reaping at work. And so we've got to understand that although God forgives us of the guilt and the punishment, the eternal punishment that that would go with that, there is often an earthly consequence. Number three, some suffering is the result of other people's sin. Think about what happened to Joseph in the Old Testament. His hateful brothers sold him into slavery. He wound up in prison He was falsely accused, and for 12 or 13 years of his life, he went through agonizing experiences. That wasn't because of his own sin. His brothers initiated that. His brothers did that to him. And I like to put it like this sometimes. We get caught in the backwash of other people's sins. It's true. It happens all the time. Some of you had parents who were abusive or were just very poor as parents, and you're still suffering. You're caught, even right now, in the backwash of their sin. You're going through hurtful things, even today, that were set in motion by their sin. The mugger mugs you. The drunken driver swerves out of the lane, and hitch your car. You didn't do anything wrong. That was a result of somebody else's sin. Your mate is unfaithful to you, and you suffer devastating consequences because of his or her sin. Sometimes we just suffer because 
we get caught in the backwash of other people's choices. Number four, some suffering is a result of satanic attack. You read in the book of Job, Job became bankrupt. He lost all ten of his children to disasters. He had his cattle, all of his livestock stolen. His own health went south, and he found himself sitting on an ash heap, scraping the oozing sores from his body. It's a despicable scene. It wasn't because God was causing that. It wasn't because of Job's own sin, and it wasn't because he was caught in the backwash of somebody else's sin. Scripture is clear that Satan was the direct cause of those sufferings. Paul writes an interesting thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. God didn't cause that thorn in the flesh, but God allowed it. God... And the text says it was a messenger of Satan. Satan wanted to use it to destroy Paul and his ministry. God wanted to work through even that to deepen Paul's faith and effectiveness. And finally, and I hope you're listening to this one, I believe that most suffering that you and I endure comes simply because we live in a fallen world. Listen. Listen very carefully. Adam and Eve... Set, set in motion a virus of sin in this world that we're still suffering from today. And through the eons of time, it has become more and more complex. And so we live in a world where we don't just suffer the sowing and reaping uh, that goes with our own sin and other people's choices in our lives. We suffer all of the conundrums, all of the compiled evil, all of the evil systems and viewpoints and attitudes and structures that have been developed because of all the time that sin has been at work in this world. Look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, if your Bible is open there. Verse 22, Paul says, We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now let me be very specific about what that means. You see, ever since Adam and Eve introduced this virus of sin into the human race, things have been out of sync. And what that means is that fires are going to kill both children and adults. Why? Because somebody sinned? No, because we live in a fallen world. That means that tornadoes will dip out of the sky and destroy churches as well as brothels. You say, but Pastor Rex, how can that be? Can't there be any more justice in the world than no? We live in a fallen world where ever since the sin virus was introduced, things have been off kilter. And that's why Jesus made this, what to many is a very enigmatic statement, when he said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. What that means further is that Christians will get cancer just as surely as unbelievers do. The rain is going to fall on the just 
and the unjust. Jesus, in Luke chapter 13, asked a question of his contemporaries. There had just been a tragic accident where the tower of Siloam had collapsed. It had sort of imploded and fallen, and 18 people had been killed with that contemporary tragedy in Jesus' day. And he said, hey, folks, let me ask you a question. Those 18 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell, do you think they were more guilty than all the other people in Jerusalem? Jesus' answer was no way. This is simply a result of living in a fallen world. Debbie and I recently had the privilege of praying with Ted and Teresa Mosher. And Teresa has been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Ted and Teresa, to me, are inspirational people. They're relatively new believers. They were just baptized about a year ago by Pastor Greg Ballard out in a special baptismal service where a number of people out in the Greenbush area were, had come to faith in Christ and were expressing that faith through, through water baptism. It was an awesome, awesome time. And th- imagine that. Ted and Teresa, new believers, so excited for the Lord, just getting off the ground, just come out of that explorer phase, new beginners in Christ, and here it is, Teresa, this beautiful young woman, riddled with cancer. I want you to know, not only do we groan and grieve and hurt with her, and not only do we continue to pray with her, I want you to know that God groans and grieves with her as well. Not because God's powerless, oh no, but because God has chosen in this season of time, in this time, space, world in which we live, the sin virus has gone crazy. And make no mistake, if you don't understand these things we just pointed out, you're going to end up, let me just say it, you're going to end up some very troubling theology. Don't be too quick to assign a source to the suffering that you're going through. A second thing I would suggest, not only is it incredibly helpful to understand the different sources of suffering, but it's also very important to focus on eternity. Paul writes in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, if you have a pen or a pencil, you might want to circle that word consider. It's the Greek word logizomai. We get the word logic from that. Paul is saying, look, listen to the logic of this. Listen to the logic of this. Our present sufferings, what we're going through right now, is not even worthy to be compared with all the glory that's going to come to us In heaven. And if we're going to navigate through suffering well, we've got to keep that perspective. Now, I want to use a little visual aid here to help illustrate this. And I've asked Scotty Harris to help me. Scotty, would you come? Now, I'm holding here the end of a big, big ball of string. Scotty, I'm going to ask you to just go all the way back, all the way back to the lobby, young man. Just keep going, keep going. <coughs> this is a long piece of string. And I've got a piece of black tape here on the end of this. Now, 
we sing that wonderful song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And the line says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I want you to let this tape here represent maybe an 80-year lifespan. And if this represents 80 years, what I'm holding here in my hand, probably somewhere out here about the sound booth or something, several rows back, would be the 10,000 years that the song talks about. And it says, we've only just begun at that point. But Scotty's going way beyond that. There's enough string here to go all the way to High Rock Avenue in Saratoga Springs. Man, there's a lot of string. So young man, keep going. Go on out into the parking lot, Scotty. Keep going, young man. Don't stop. Stop for ice cream unless you get me one. All right, keep going to High Rock Avenue in Saratoga. It's unbelievable. Now let's imagine that when Scotty's way out there in the parking lot like he is now, he's able to glance back at this little 80 years of a life here on earth, and he sees a little tiny just a little scratch on this black tape, that represents the suffering that we go through in this life. Oh, it's painful now, but think of that in light of all of the glory we have in eternity. That's the perspective the Bible says we have to have. Thank you, Scotty. That's why the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, therefore we do not lose heart. Why? Because we've got this eternal perspective. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner person, who we are really inside, is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If you're hurting right now, you need, you need this perspective. When you're going through stuff, you've got to keep the long view in mind, not the short view. Did you see that news story that broke this week on Thursday, May the 15th? A wonderful 27-year-old young Christian woman in the Sudan, this Islamic-controlled state where the leader, by his own words, is attempting to set up a, a full constitution, a full government that is run by Islamic views and so on, and all the laws would be carried out that way. And she's been in prison with her 20-month-old baby since February. She's pregnant and is soon to give birth to another child. Just this Thursday, she was sentenced to 100 lashes because of adultery, they said, because she married a, an American Christian man, and this Islamic State doesn't recognize that marriage as being legitimate, so she's accused of adultery. 100 lashes for that, and then she's to be hanged by the neck until dead. Now, the sentence of death is not to be carried out for another two months or so until after this child has been born. But if you are Miriam Ibrahim, 
If you're Miriam, who declared under the pressure of this thing, where they had a, an Islamic scholar for 40 minutes tried to get her to recant, and she stood up and said, I am not a Muslim. I have always been a Christian. If you were giving her advice, what would you say? There is only two options, folks, either utter despair or unconquerable faith in Jesus. It's got to be either utter despair or unconquerable faith in Jesus Christ. She's got to have the long view because that's the only thing that gets us through. we got to understand that these momentary afflictions are like a little scratch on that piece of tape. Look at what Paul goes on to write here in verse 23. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The more we groan inwardly, the more we long for the redemption that is going to come either at our death or the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we long for that and we pray for that. And verse 24 goes on and says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. An eternal perspective, friends, helps us to endure suffering. A third thing I think that's important when we're really suffering and hurting like so many of you are right now, is to rely on the inner reinforcement of the Holy Spirit. I hope we understand that for every genuine follower of Jesus, when you cross over that line from exploring Christ to beginning in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. He comes there to stay in you, to remain in you, to dwell in you. It doesn't mean he has full control. It doesn't mean that he is president yet, but he's at least resident in you. He's inside of every genuine believer. Repent and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Simon Peter said in that very first gospel message preached in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But notice what Paul writes here in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's a promise from what Jesus said before he died. Remember what he said to his disciples? Look, I'm going to go away, but although I'm going to leave you, I'm going to send a comforter, the paraclete, who's going to come to be with you. He's going to bring comfort into your life. And Jesus listed a whole bunch of other benefits the Spirit would bring. And Paul says here, the Spirit helps us in Our weakness. Can I say something to you? I hope you really can internalize today. God knows your load limit. Do you ever drive along in these country lanes in Vermont or New York or New Hampshire or Massachusetts and you see an old, old covered bridge and often those bridges will have on them a load limit, five tons or whatever it is. God knows your load limit. And the Bible promises in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, that he will not allow you 
to undergo so much of a burden that you cannot stand up under it. The Holy Spirit will be there inside of you to reinforce you even as you're going through it. He goes on to say, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Sometimes, because we're just oblivious as to what we ought to pray for in the midst of suffering, sometimes we pray some pretty silly or even, can I say it, even some stupid prayers. I have a dear pastor friend in the area here, in the capital region, who told a true story about their church. He said, this doesn't happen to us every day, Pastor Rex. He said, there was a man in our congregation, we thought he was going to die, an elderly man who's in the hospital. All the signs were that he was leaving this world. The staff in the hospital thought he was leaving this world. In fact, the family was getting together even to plan for his funeral. We were planning his funeral out. It was that certain. But we went in, <laughs> and we... And we prayed, and, and our prayer was mostly just focused on the family. God, help him to die in peace. God, comfort the family in their time of need. Help them to grieve well during this time, and let our brother you know, go on to meet you and that kind of thing. Well, wouldn't you know it? Jesus was probably saying, Father, that's a stupid prayer, okay? It's not his time. This guy not only survived... On the very time that they, just a few days before they were scheduled to have his memorial service at the church, he was in church worshiping God again. God did a miracle. This pastor friend told me we were so stunned, so elated, so energized by that as a congregation. And it reminded us that sometimes we just don't know what to pray for. And we end up praying some pretty silly prayers. I like what Dr. Herschel Hobbs wrote. He said, if you've ever hurt so much that you couldn't put into words your prayers, all you could do was sigh, groan, or cry. It was then, perhaps, that you prayed your most eloquent prayer. The Holy Spirit took that groan, sigh, tear, and carried those to the Father and translated them into the most beautiful prayer you ever prayed. Some of you know exactly what that feels like, to just be without words. But the Holy Spirit comes and reinforces you from the inside. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. But as we move on quickly, talking about suffering, I want you to see a fourth important strategy here that can really reinforce us when we're hurting. We can trust in the positive providence of God. Now, probably the most familiar verse in this whole chapter, Romans 8, which is an awesome chapter, it begins by reminding us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, and toward the end it says we're more than conquerors in him, right? Amazing chapter. But probably the best known verse, perhaps, is Romans 8.28, and I want us to say that all together as a congregation. Could we, at all of our locations, let's say it in Half Moon and Greenbush and Saratoga Springs, let's say it in Latham, let's, all, let's say this together out loud, 
and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Now I want to highlight two important aspects of that amazing promise in the Bible. First of all, two positive purposes here. One, he says, it's for our good. Did you notice that part? This is for our good. He works for the good, it says. Viktor Frankl, the Viennese psychiatrist, said, if you give a person a why for living, they can endure almost any how. And sometimes the good is obvious. Maybe your heart was broken and you were suffering because your girlfriend jilted you and broke up with you, but years later you're happily married to a woman and you go, oh, she's so much better. Thank God for unanswered prayer. I was hurting then. I thought it was the most horrible thing in the world, but thank God she broke up with me. Oh, I love my wife now. And it's obvious what the good was. But it's not always that way, is it? Your girlfriend breaks up with you and you haven't established another quality relationship like that and you're lonely and you're hurting. Or maybe you've already had three miscarriages and you can't seem to get pregnant and you desperately want a child and you just can't see what possible, what possible good could be coming out of this. Sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not obvious at all. But I want you to see the primary good that God has in mind when it says he's working for our good. Look at the next two verses. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You see, our problem as we think about the good that God is up to is we're looking at life like a boy looking at a parade through a knot hole in a wooden fence, and that's all he can see. He's just staring through this little knot hole like this. He can't see over it. He can't see under it or around it. All he can see is through this little knot hole. Well, guess what? When you're looking at life that way, you know what's already come, right? And you also are aware of the present. You know what's going on right now. But you have no idea what's about to come. God sees over the fence. God sees the end from the beginning. God sees the past, the present, and the future. He knows what's going on, and he is working for our good when we love him and are called according to his purpose. And when he designs something for our life, it's always for our good. The second purpose here is God's glory. Romans 8, 28, who have been called according to his purpose. What is God's purpose? God's purpose is that his glory... Who he is, in other words, in all of his character, his love, his holiness, his justice, his perfectness, all of his beauty and majesty would be seen clearly. When we talk about God's glory, that's what we mean. 
And God's primary purpose is not just for our ultimate good, but that he would be seen for who he is. Now, I've got a shocker for some of you. I hope you're listening carefully right now. I'm going to stun you. I'm going to stun you right now. God's primary purpose in this world is not your personal happiness. Oh, I thought it was all about me. I thought God existed for me and to make me happy. No. God's primary purpose is not our individual, personal happiness. Now listen, listen. Don't don't lose me too quick. A general leading an army does care about the morale of the troops, right? But there's a mission here. There's a purpose. There's a cause. There's a battle to be won. And yes, God, all things being equal, wants us to be filled with joy. He wants our morale to be high. He wants good things to be going on. But the primary purpose by far is not that we would feel good every moment, but that his mission in the world would be accomplished. And that is incredibly important for us to understand. And so when we're going through stuff like Joseph did in the Old Testament, we can't see the end from the beginning like God, right? We're looking through the knot hole. All we know is what I feel right now, and it's not good, baby. It's not good. I'm hurting. Joseph could have not known that after all of those bad experiences, that virtually overnight God would take him from the pit to the pinnacle. And I don't know what God has in store for you, but I will tell you this. As he does his work in your life through good and bad, he is always working for your good, and he's always working for his glory. There's one final thing I will share as we close, and that is we can find comfort in the companionship of Jesus Christ. I like verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And the obvious answer to those rhetorical questions is no, 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 no. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I grew up singing a wonderful song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, All Our Sins and Griefs to Bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And you know, when you want a friend who can really help you and encourage you, what are you looking for in that person? What are you looking for when you want someone to come alongside of you? I'd say there are two or three things that are important, right? One, you want someone who can understand, right? Someone who can resonate with your pain. So you feel they can identify to some degree. You also want someone who's genuinely compassionate, who honestly cares about you. And I would say a third thing that's very important when someone's going to help you is they've got to be available, right? They've got to be accessible. They could resonate and they could have real compassion, but if they're not available, it's not doing you a ton of good, is it? And those are the very reasons that Jesus Christ is our amazing, amazing high priest and our amazing source of comfort when we're really hurting. All of those qualities are true of him. He's been tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it's like 
to taste the salt in tears, to hurt, to lose someone you love. Jesus truly cares. No one ever cared for you like Jesus. And Jesus is available. And in my times of darkest need, where I've gotten the greatest comfort, is when I just call out to my Lord Jesus Christ and say, I need your strength. I need your help. I know you know what this is like. I know you understand, and I know you care. And he's always there. Call on him. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Father, would you help us today when we suffer to not only understand better the source of these kinds of things, but Lord, help us to call on these positive and valuable resources that you've given us. Help us to learn what it is like to walk through the fire, but do it with your strength, to do it with your perspective, to understand that these momentary afflictions are producing an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Help us to live that way, Lord. Help us to hold on to you even when we feel we can't hold on any longer, would you hold on to us? In Jesus' name, amen.